Hey everybody, welcome to episode 11 of the Global Health Impact Fund podcast. I'm your host, Martin Eels. And as always, I have my amazing co-host, Dr. Robert Aloni-Chavez, CEO and Managing Partner of the Global Health Impact Fund. Robert, it's awesome to have you back as always. Hey Martin, it's good to be back. So today, big conversation, International Fund, Fund 2. Fund 2. So... Yeah, it's really exciting. Um, you know, starting in venture is a challenge. And first-time fund managers, it it's a really steep hill to climb um, to get people to trust you and to create a, a record of investment that people can look at and feel that their investments would be well shepherded by you. And so... The first fund is really hard to do. And, you know, I have to give a lot of credit to Gary Goldman, my partner, and Bob Sweeney and Dave Goldman, who got the fund started, and then Chris Kager, who helped move it along before I came on board. And then ultimately I joined the team a little ways into it. And so I, I would be wrong for me not to give them tremendous credit because that is a heavy, heavy lift. But we're in an interesting position now where we have raised our first fund and we're basically or nearly closed with it. And it's a small fund. It's less than $10 million. But I think we've been able to do very impactful things with it. We've made 10 investments in really great companies. Some of them can truly transform the practice of medicine in their areas. Uh, and that's what our goal is, to change medicine and healthcare. And of course, for our investors to hopefully make them a tremendous and outsized return on investment. So now that we've accomplished that and we have a story, we're trying to create a bigger footprint. You know, if our goal is to change healthcare, $10 million isn't going to change healthcare. Uh, we want a bigger fund. We want to do more work and, you know, just have more impact. So we're now looking to start our second fund. It's still a modestly sized fund of $20 million. The big difference between the first fund and the second fund is that this one is positioned to take international commitments as well. So we've created a pass-through entity offshore, which is of course legal and compliant, but you know, it's basically to prevent a double taxation situation for people from you know specific countries. And, uh, and of course, our minimums are a little higher because our goal is higher. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, uh, before the podcast started, you know, you have a cap table limitation. You can only get a certain number of people in a fund, typically 99 in funds that are over uh, $10 million in value. So, you know, you have to raise your minimums if you're raising your targets. So that's what we've done. Okay, so like with fund one, like our investors were all strategic investors, like they're all were physicians and clinicians and came from the health space. Is is that your target for fund two, or you know, do you plan to open it a little with people with different experiences? Right, that's a really terrific question, Martin. So, doctors, clinicians, nurses, all of these uh, folks who are credited will always be welcome and encouraged to join the fund. Um, for the second fund, because the investment minimums are higher, uh, it may be a little harder for some of our you know, medical colleagues to, to join and take the risk with that much of their allocation, you know, for an allocation from their portfolio. But they're always welcome. So that's never not going to be a focus. But 
I think that our target audience for this is going to be family offices and high net worth individuals, people who see the value of the networks we've created and uh, the way they can contribute strategically to finding, choosing, and then supporting companies. We've, we've demonstrated that time and again with our first fund, so it's part of the story. Uh, so those are our those are our um, those are the people we think will be most interested in this fund. We will once this fund gets a little momentum underneath it, open up a, a second parallel fund, which is a doctor's fund. The parallel fund essentially invests literally in the same things. It's a mirror image, but a pro rata mirror image. In other words, if it's half the size, then it takes half the allocation. But otherwise, the portfolios uh, will be similar. Or, or exactly the same. So, um, and the doctor's fund will be one again with lower, more obtainable minimums for, you know, just doctor medical professionals. So we'll have that in a little while, but uh, we haven't uh, closed our first doctor's fund. So we're leaving that open for just a little while longer to bring in some more capital. And we wanted to get some momentum with fund two. Okay. So with fund two, like, what areas are you looking to invest in? Are you staying in the same like phase of like the C to Series A stage? Are you looking for more high growth? So, so when we talk about that, we're going to talk about initial investment because there will be some capacity for the fund to do follow-on investment, meaning we made an investment. They've gone back to the markets for more money because they've met milestones and they need more capital. And uh, we're going to definitely entertain follow-on investments, maybe 20 to 25% of the portfolio, um, maybe in follow-on investments, depending on how the opportunities arise. But as far as initial investment, the truth is that our network really provides such a huge value for both the investors and the investees in the early stage. And the value for the investors is that we can identify properties before most people can identify the success of a property because we can provide a proxy for market validation with our physician community. We understand the clinical challenges that the companies have. So, you know, it's the whole diamond in the rough metaphor. I think we can see those. So it's just a great opportunity because, you know, everything is ultimately, you know, dependent on the laws of supply and demand. And there's a supply, people are looking for capital, but the demand in that space is low. We don't compete with the large sequoias and so forth for companies, for deals, because they're not really busy in our space. So that's a really great opportunity for investors. We can get great value there. Um, in terms of for the companies also, you know, being invested in by a strategic network of physicians that can make introductions and support the science and the clinical trials uh, also adds a lot of value. Keep in mind that most companies, particularly the ones that go through clinical trials in the FDA, will be pre-revenue until they have their clearances. So they don't get market validation. I've met I met uh, people in early stage healthcare investing, and I put you know in air quotes because they say, yeah, we'll we'll only invest in companies with with at least a million dollars in revenue. Like, well, that's not early stage, you know, that's later because they've got a lot of market validation under the belt. So we'll look at companies earlier, and I think that's a real strength of our community. Okay, I know with like the first fund we kind of focused on more of the digital health area in the space. 
are you going to keep looking at digital health reform too, or are you going to open up to like medtech and other areas of the health space? Yeah, I, I think the thesis is one of investing at that intersection between technology and healthcare. So, you know, very specifically defined, you could call it digital health. But even digital health is many faceted. You, be, you could be talking about telehealth. You could be talking about artificial intelligence. You could be talking about robotics. Expanding that gets you into devices that are um, augmented by technology. And we have some of those in our first portfolio. So we're already in that space. So I think that for the next portfolio, what we're looking at is expanding that definition, maybe doing more traditional medical device companies. I don't know that we're going to get involved in pharma. We certainly have the capacity to understand and, and do well with pharma, but pharma as an asset class is tougher because getting involved early means that the time to exit is typically pretty far off and the cost to exit because of the cost of clinical trials is very high. It's much harder to get clearance for a drug than it is to get clearance for a device. You have to go through phase one, phase two, phase three trials. And um, so, you know, it's harder, to, it's harder to justify that from an ROI coming in that early. So we'll see. I mean, I'm certainly sure that opportunities may present themselves that will be attractive and then we'll have to take it to our network and our, and our investment committee and see if we like it. But I would say, if anything, that would be a smaller percent, if, if, if any percent of our portfolio. Okay, that's good. And then with the international fund, you know, are we looking at international startups as well, potentially? Are we still focusing on mainly US-based? We are looking at international startups. We do have one company in our first portfolio that originated in Israel. They do have a Silicon Valley-based office now. Uh, but we will look. I think there's a lot of innovation coming out you know, all across the world, whether it's India or Israel or Ireland or Eastern Europe. Even we've looked at companies in Africa and uh, some in China. The, the challenge is that there's a logistical issue with respect to even meeting with companies. And also with certain types of companies, there are issues with respect to understanding their local regulations and, um, you know, their local FDAs, for example. But those are all surmountable. So I think that there's definitely opportunities. And of course, the opportunities in these countries are very undervalued relative to the things we see in Silicon Valley. So it would be a mistake to say no, but realistically and pragmatically, it won't be a huge portion of our portfolio, if any. But, you know, I like to see them. Yeah, I think you nailed it on the head, though. Like, you know, what they're doing in Japan to the US, it's two different stages of healthcare. Like, we all know the US healthcare system, it's not the best in the world, but definitely the most expensive. Well, you know, also, it's really tough to get things through the FDA. And so it's the biggest market, but it's also, in many ways, the hardest market. So, getting a company through that, then opens up the world in a, in a big way. Whereas if you clear something in, a, in Nigeria, then they still have a lot of work. Potentially, I'm making that up. I don't know if that's true, but, but you know, they have a lot of work to get into the States. They can't just say, well, we're, you know, we have clearance here, so we'll get clearance there. Um, what I am interested in though, you know, which is the, the opposite side of that coin is cross-border uh, efforts of companies. And I don't see any reason why 
American-based companies shouldn't be looking at international markets. In fact, I think it's important. You don't want to sp spread your sales force thin, but you can develop partnerships that can get you into foreign markets or international markets. And, you know, healthcare really is universal, right? So, you know, this is the way, you know, it puts the global in global health. Um, so I don't want our innovations to be, you know, remanded just to the states. Yeah, I think a good example of that as well is um, Kaya Health. Like they're based in New York, but also based in um, Germany as well, I believe. Um, you know, they went through a Swiss kind of accelerated partner of international companies before going to New York. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of potential out there for companies Definitely. to get to the US. Definitely. You know, and part of it is in that respect, it's about understanding the markets, understanding the payer systems, and also understanding how to protect your intellectual property, right? All of those are critical. Uh, there are definitely countries that are have bad reputations for respecting, for instance, intellectual property. And so do you close yourself off to that market or can you put in place guardrails to protect those things and then take advantage of the fact that other people aren't going there? Certainly, certainly there are opportunities there if you can navigate them. Is there anything you want to add about the International Fund that we've not covered? Well, it's just it's an exciting opportunity for us to, you know, really become global and bring on global partners. So we're super excited that, you know, the, the mechanism is in place to create the financial structure so that there's not penalties for them, you know, investing in our fund. And it gives them the opportunity to invest in American-based companies and really great Silicon Valley-based companies and, and throughout the States that they may not have even known about. So I'm going to ask you a question from the international investor side that I already know the answer to. Yeah. Why should an international investor invest in the Global Health Impact Fund? Well, Martin, <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think that first, you know, we're going to do well. And so I'd like to think that it's a good place to park your money, all other things being equal. Uh, and we're doing important work. We're helping to fuel and fund and support important innovation. So I think there's a social impact um, component to this. I think that's important to many, many investors, including especially these days family offices. So it's nice to know you're hopefully making a difference and you know making money at the same time. I think more specifically, what 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 we've experienced is that, and, and I think I mentioned this earlier, that we see companies before, you know, large established institutional investors see companies. We have affiliations with some of the top institutions in the United States. And we go to the events where many of these terrific companies get showcased. And so we see them and the the big players, it's just too expensive for them to write a tiny check, you know, from a from a functional standpoint. So when we get involved, we're not competing with Sequoia for a deal. We're competing with other small ventures. And we, of course, have a real strategic advantage with our network of physicians and experience. So we don't get the table scraps. And if you're a foreign investor and you don't have a presence here, at best, you get table scraps. And what, what I like to say is we get the food before it leaves the kitchen. 
you know, it's on the plate, it's ready to go. And, and then it gets served and the big, the big players can come in and have what they want because they have a big, you know, footprint. So the advantage to somebody, you know, in a, in a foreign country who wants to invest and invest in American property is that we really jump the line and get access to some of the best deals. Yeah. So if I was going to say a superstar team, <laughs> you know, between yourself, Gary, Chris, Bob. It is a good team, but, you know, that I can't say that. <laughs> I can say that, so. <laughs> you know, we all suffer from imposter syndrome, Martin. So. Yeah, but, you know, you guys, you are a great team. Like, you know, you come from the space, you understand the space very well. It's not like you're new to the health tech space. I mean, you just feel like it's in your blood. And yeah. so you can identify the strengths and weaknesses in companies. And, you know, of course, you have to layer a lot of business experience. A good idea doesn't make for a good business. Um, and that's where the MBA and then the, the time, you know, the sort of the street smarts MBA comes in. And, you know, all of us have operating experience in companies outside of healthcare. So I think it all adds up to a really unique package of having your feet firmly planted in both the business world and the clinical world. And that's a really good lens to be looking at these companies through. I was that calling you guys the A team. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm pity the fool. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I got no more questions. Um, I think. You covered the phone great, especially the well, international well, side. Well, so. you on video, what the audience doesn't see is you, you're like, I have no more questions, but you're pulling your checkbook out. So clearly, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, listen, we would love to have, you know, we're, we would love to have conversations with people. I think one of the, you know, mistakes is that people think that interest equals a check. And interest just equals interest. It equals a conversation. We love talking about this. So... If somebody's interested in having conversation and you know, you know, taking it for a test drive, you know, we love to talk, uh, and that's not a commitment in any way. That's just you know, essentially an experiment. But ultimately, we're we're looking for investors so we can change the world. So hopefully, hopefully, we'll get there. Yeah. So if you're listening, get the checkbook out. <laughs> <laughs> get the get the Rolodex out. Just call me. <laughs> Awesome, Alan. It's been a pleasure as always. Thank you so much. And I'll see you next week for episode 12. Yeah, we'll go back to something for everybody else. Thanks for letting me talk about the fund. It's a little selfish, log rolly, but I really do appreciate it. But I think it's important. I think it's important, not just for the listeners, but, you know, the potential investors, you know, and the people who are following the fund, what startups we're looking for and why we do this. So I think it's important for people to understand the reasons why we do this. And maybe maybe as a how-to for folks that are trying to start their own funds, they can see that, you know, we're all in this journey. You know, it's not it's not magic. It's it's a lot of hard work. And, you know, maybe they'll see themselves in this. Exactly. But what I do want to cover in a future episode, you brought up a lot, is how to get FDA clearance. Yeah, that's a big that'll one. That'll be a big one. Mm -hmm. We may have to bring that. on for that. I don't know. <laughs> well, we'll serve that one down the road. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All, All right. right. Thank Stay you. Stay safe, okay? You too. Bye bye.